you may be one of those who have not heard that even though my body will die one day, my soul will never pass away. I'm rapping truth, this is not a lie. My soul is never gonna die. Never gonna die, never ever gonna die, never ever gonna die. Never gonna die, never ever gonna die, never ever gonna die. And welcome to a, another edition of Sanctified Reason Podcast. Sanctified Reason Podcast, where Dan Dozell and myself, Son Edom, we take a look at the things that are going on in this world, sitting at the crossroads of faith and pop culture, and we discuss them through a biblical perspective. And Dan, one of the things that we've got going on is uh, Easter. And eternal life is the emphasis of Jesus dying on the cross, forgiving us of our sins, and raising again. And that's what this song is all about. Committed, our soul is never going to die. So the song is committed. Tell us about it. Well, I'll tell you, son, uh, back in the 1980s, I worked on a summer ministry program uh, right here in Omaha, Nebraska, in the housing projects, the Logan Fontenelle housing projects, uh, right after the, my, uh, my junior year in college. And we worked there for eight weeks, and we worked with the inner city children. And the Lord really put a burden on my heart to reach the children in a way that would, would extend beyond just um, the limited time we had with them at vacation Bible school. Uh, we also we, we drove back on Sundays during my senior year. Uh, we drove back to Omaha from college uh, to do Sunday school with them. Uh, but I, and I had a team of people I was working with on that. Uh, but I wanted to reach them beyond just those few hours. And so in praying about that, the Lord really put on my heart this idea to do gospel rap, which at that time, really, nobody really was doing that yet. Um, but that really was put on my heart to do. And so I started to write some raps and, and I did the rapping. And then um, my friend David Wells, uh, was a musician, and so he he did the keyboard and all the music, and we put together a couple gospel rap albums. And that song you were just playing, "They're Never Gonna Die," was on our second album called "Committed." But it was a way to connect with, uh, as it turned out, not only inner city youth, but there were a lot of other young people uh, across the country who really enjoyed it. We ended up uh, distributing about ninety thousand cassettes, and most of those songs were given away free of charge. The Lord provided. Uh, the um, the funding to uh, to make those cassettes they were about a dollar a piece to produce and uh, but but yeah so it was done to get the message out uh, that particular song uh, that when your faith is in Jesus um, your soul you know you're never going to die I mean Jesus said I am the resurrection and the life he who believes in me will live even though he dies and whoever uh, lives and believes in me will never die uh, and then he asked Martha the question do you believe this and so that's that was kind of the genesis of that song, um, really focusing on the gospel promise that we have as Christians. So, yeah, so that that album we produced in 1989, about four years after we started uh, doing the, you know, writing the gospel rap. So that's my goodness on what, 11, you know, what, 30, uh, 33, 34 years ago now. But, uh, yeah, it was really a, it was really a good way to present the gospel in a way that people would hear it, would listen and really be um, 
you know, really be able to um, have it, you know, impact your life, uh, you know, throughout the week as they as they would listen to the songs and, and, and get that message, you know, into their heart. So, yeah, it really it really turned out good. Yeah. And one of the things, especially with that song, like you said, you're never going to die. People might take that as well at some point the physical body is going to die right i mean you can't live forever yeah. like fame you know the the, the song yeah. fame i'm gonna live forever you know talking about that even beyond death the dancing that this person or the the popularity of the songs or whatever we do that's gonna live on our legacy and we're gonna live forever but when we look right. at a secular legacy that legacy is going to die at some point and be yeah. not forever whereas the legacy that we live in christ jesus through his death on yeah. the cross and his resurrection on easter morning as we approach easter um, now that legacy does in fact live forever which then reinforces that yeah your soul is never going to die and for those that believe it's going to be a great thing and for those that don't believe that jesus died and is the uh, savior of their sins their uh, eternity is going to be something that they probably wish they would die. Well, that's exactly right, son. And that is the message that Christians are so compelled to share because, you know, without the Holy Spirit revealing to us in the Bible that heaven and hell are real, that we have an immortal soul, um, and that everyone's going to go to one of two places. Um, this is a burning issue for Christians who are even slightly sensitive to the Holy Spirit's work in their life. Um, you know, I mean, you can't be a Christian without the work of the Holy Spirit bringing you to faith in Christ. Um, I suppose you could, you could have, you know, some Christians who they are saved, they are born again, redeemed, justified, and forgiven through faith in Jesus. But they're they're not really uh, let's say maybe growing in their faith. Uh, we have those examples in the Bible. Uh, those who remain spiritually uh, or spiritual babes in Christ. You know, Paul Paul talked about those who were you know engaged in quarreling and jealousy and, and things like that. But you know. We as Christians have been given the Holy Spirit, and just like on the day of Pentecost, there's a fire that comes with that to want to reach others, to, you know, share with others. I mean, even Peter, who denied the Lord three times there before the Lord's crucifixion, boy, after Pentecost, uh, you couldn't stop Peter. He was everywhere. You know, he was preaching the message, and tradition says, son, that uh, Peter was not only martyred for his faith, but he was crucified, and that he did not feel worthy to be crucified in the same way that his his lord and and, and savior had been so um he he asked to be crucified upside down so he went from being really cowardly as, as any of us uh will be apart from the holy spirit you know enabling us to be uh to be courageous he went from that to being a bold witness and proclaimer of the message of the cross and the forgiveness of sins. We see that in the book of Acts, uh, you know, Peter and John right out of the gate, you know, preaching uh, very clearly. I mean, in Acts 2, you know, Peter preaching, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So so that's the message we've been given. Um, that's the message Christians share. But underneath it all, son, there's this awareness that, uh, as you said, um, you know, eternity is nothing to play around with because you either, you either get with Jesus and have your sins forgiven or on judgment day, you are left to, um, basically receive your sentence of eternal punishment for your sins, which we all would receive apart from Christ. 
But because Jesus came, there's a pardon that's available. There's forgiveness that's available. There's a there's a a freedom, a free gift that God gives those who repent and believe the good news. So um, Easter is a wonderful time to proclaim that message. And even though we live in a world and we live in a nation where it does seem like more and more people are becoming um, disinterested. In spiritual matters, uh, I mean, we, you know, there's been so much talk about, um, you know, the things before COVID and now after COVID, and um, so many people are are commenting on how, you know, fewer and fewer Americans seem interested in uh, in Christian things and Christianity and Jesus. So I I, I hope that's not as um, really as bad as it's being um, advertised, but there's no doubt that there are many who are very very confused. Many who don't know the Lord, uh, many young people uh, who are burdened and under great pressure. Uh, people of all ages are facing pressures, but uh, this younger generation, uh, you know, seems lost. Uh, and we do need a revival. We need we need the Holy Spirit just to sweep across the nation and for many to come to know Christ because He is our only hope. And we're all going to exist forever. And I think you said, Son, a couple moments ago, you said, um, you know, the other option other than heaven is going to a place where you won't be able to die even though you would want to. And that's exactly uh, what the Bible describes, uh, a place uh, in heaven of extreme joy, far beyond anything we can imagine, and hell, a place of extreme agony, uh, far worse than we can imagine. So um, this is the message that has to get out to people, that, that people really need to wrestle with, and hopefully and prayerfully come to see that, oh, I do see Jesus died for me. I do need his forgiveness. I do uh, want to live forever. So I can say I'm never going to die. Um, that, that, but that, that calls for repentance and faith and a relationship with Christ. And, and yet that's offered to everyone because uh, Christ died for sins once for all. You know, Dan, I think I might have originally heard this from J. Vernon McGee. Uh, probably originated from him, but I don't think he'd mind as long as the message got out there who said it, but it goes like this. So when I look at Easter after hearing this sermon, I always like to correlate it with Christmas and the Christmas tree. And I'll throw that out there and people will be like, what are you talking about? Well, at Christmas time, we bring gifts and we put under the tree and we pass those gifts around. We open them and yeah, we get to celebrate. And so the cross is like that first Christmas tree. Because at the foot of the cross is that gift of eternal life. Now, we might not necessarily specifically open it until we die, if we are a Christian and we're saved. But we know that gift is there, and we've already earned it. Well, we didn't earn it, but, you know, it's been given to us through Jesus' death on the cross. So it's already ours to have. And so yet, maybe it's a couple days before Christmas and you see the gifts under the tree. We know we're going to get it. We just have to wait for Christmas Day to open them or maybe Christmas Eve. And that's like the cross. I mean, there's so much emphasis on Jesus' death, which is important. But even I think more importantly is the gift that he left for us. And that is eternal life. And it's there for us. And once, whether you're a believer or not, it's there at the foot of the cross waiting for you. Now, if you believe 
you've already now received that. It's already been given to you. You just got to wait for Christmas morning till you know, the day you die, then you open it. And that's when you really get to cash it in. But for everybody else, it's still sitting there. It's like an unopened gift on Christmas morning under the tree. It's like, okay, who, who's going to take this? You know, it's open for, it's for everybody. And, and I think that, you know, in this day and age, when people focus on the fact that what Jesus did, he died on the cross, but through that death, on that first Christmas tree, so to speak, leaving that gift at the foot of the cross for us to take. And then when you look at the, the two thieves that hung with him, you know, they couldn't do anything. One accepted and received that yes. gift and yes. could do nothing except take it. I mean, Jesus, if you want to put it into, you know, figurative terms is walking up to mm-hmm. him with this gift wrapped yeah. and said, here, I'm going to give this to you. And the guy's yes. like, uh, why? Doesn't matter why you have it; it's yours. And then he walks up right. to the other guy with this with the same gift, and the guy's like, "I don't want it," and rejects it, gives it back. Yeah. And then that's yeah. the idea. It's like, and it's and it's and I like the the analogy because it simplifies it to the standpoint of uh, an understanding that we here on Earth can have. Why would God send His Son to die on the cross for us? I mean, why would Jesus want to do that? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, but yeah. He did it for a specific reason, and that is because He loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us, and all we have to do is accept and believe. And so when we come to Easter, even though we're celebrating the death and resurrection of Jesus, I also like to think of the gift that he left us and put it in that perspective because it is. It's it's a gift of love, and so much hate surrounded Jesus' crucifixion that the yeah. love at the end result that he left for us is, is pretty like mind-blowing, really, if you think about it. It is, son. I, I love the way you described it, and it reminds me of one of the last verses in the Bible, Revelation twenty-two seventeen. Whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. And and so, just as you say, son, uh, it is a gift. Uh, it is available to all. Uh, it, it is something that um, a person will um, will either accept or reject, and if. if they choose to reject it, what they're what they're rejecting, without knowing it, even son, they're rejecting eternal life in paradise. They're rejecting God's love, God's forgiveness. Um, why would the Father have sent His only Son to endure the agony of crucifixion, which was just um, you know by far the most painful form of death that the Romans uh, devised and inflicted on on criminals? And they called Jesus a criminal, but of course he was without sin. He was perfect. He had committed no crime. He had committed no sin. He had done nothing wrong, but they saw him as a threat. Um, they, uh, you know, the Pharisees, of course, hated the fact that um, he claimed to be able to forgive sins, uh, thereby claiming to be God. Um, they hated that, that, that um, anyone would look at him as God or that, that he would refer to himself in this way. And and so he endured that agony so that that gift, as you say, son, and that's exactly what it is so that gift could be available to everyone and all you need to do is come and open the gift by faith uh receiving christ as your savior and on the front end then of your relationship with god you receive that gift now you you haven't you haven't gone into heaven yet as son was just saying you haven't yet um received the, the the full uh load as it were but what you have received and the bible says it this way you've received the holy spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. 
so the Holy Spirit who brought you to faith, uh, if you're a Christian, then um, he comes to dwell within you. Your body becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit. Um, now you are in God's family today, tomorrow, and forever. And, and going forward, the only way you're going to be happy going forward is to say no to sin. Uh, it doesn't mean you'll always say no to sin. You know, It doesn't mean you're going to live a perfect life. But that's what you'll want to do because you have a new nature. Um, because now Christ is living in you. The Holy Spirit is is dwelling within you as well. And those are two distinct persons of the three. You know, we've got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, um, and, and you know, many, uh, you know, theologians would even just say that, um, and I don't have any dispute with this, you know, that all three persons of the Trinity, you know, are, are, are dwelling within you because it's very clear the Bible talks about Christ in you, the hope of glory, and the Bible talks about your body as a temple of the Holy Spirit. But then, you know, can, can you really separate, you know, any of them from the others? So um, while the emphasis there, you know, tends to maybe be more like, well, the Father in heaven and, and the Son living in you, the Holy Spirit living in you. I mean, let's just put it this way. God lives within you, uh, and God is three persons in one God, and the only way you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis is to say no to sin. Um, that's not in order to be saved. You're already saved, okay? So it, your salvation now, is, it's not based, it's never been based on your performance, and, and that's where many people go wrong. In fact, the world's most popular religion, although it's, it's not a formal religion, you've got people in various religions who, who believe this, um, but, but just by sheer numbers, the world's most popular religion is those people who are trying to earn their way to heaven, who are being self-righteous. Um, and what I mean by that is they are relying upon their own righteous acts and religious acts to be uh, accepted by God. And they're going to be sadly and tragically informed on judgment day, unless they receive the gift ahead of time, uh, they're going to be sadly and tragically informed. Um, you know, the Lord will have to say to them, depart from me. I never knew you because the only way to come to know God, the only way to come to know the Lord is, is to know Christ, uh, to receive him as your savior. And Jesus even told, you know, the Jewish leaders of his day, Hey, um, if you knew me, you would know my father as well, but you don't know either one of us. Okay. Um, and that of course shook them to the core because they consider themselves to be just, you know, the, the, the most, uh, religious, uh, people on earth. But once Jesus arrived on the scene, um, it really brought a dividing line and you could either get on one side, uh, with the Lord and, and, and thereby, um, you know, really, uh, really be in his family. Or if you reject the Messiah, if you reject Christ, then, um, you, you don't know God. And, and that's what Jesus made clear, but, but he had the gift. And I think about, you know, Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee who came to Jesus at night in that famous chapter in John chapter three, where we have so much powerful uh, information in there. Um, not the least of which is the most popular verse in the Bible where Jesus said, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So that whoever believes in him, will not perish, but have everlasting life. And a little bit earlier in that chapter, Jesus said, um, you must be born again. And what he meant by that is you have to be saved. You have to be forgiven. Um, there has to be a new nature that you take on. And that comes by receiving Jesus as your savior. Uh, as it says in John 1 12, yet to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become uh, children of God. So, so that's the invitation. As San was just saying a moment ago, that's the gift there under the tree. That's the gift that's available 
to, to you, all of your loved ones, you know, this Easter. And boy, I just hope and pray that you will open your heart if you haven't already receive that gift, trust Jesus to forgive you. And then you're off and running. Um, heaven will be your home from that moment on, but God will have plenty of work here on earth for you to do uh, unless, you know, it's his plan to bring you home soon. Uh, he, he, he only, only he knows when that's going to be, but um, until that happens, until that time comes, he'll have uh, work for you to do and, and it'll be a joy for you to do it because uh, there's no greater purpose on earth than, than to live for the Lord uh, who gave his life for us and who rose again from the dead. You know, Dan, you write in your article, How to Know You'll Live Forever, it's on the uh, ChristianPost.com, you know, that first of all, you've got what I think D.L. Moody said, faith is the root and assurance is the flower that comes from that. We have assurance in our salvation because of our faith in Christ. But then it's also we have to watch out for an arrogance that claims that we know for sure we're going to get into heaven based on maybe things that we do, maybe works. I mean, one of the things that I've read recently, and I, I've shared this many times, and I'll share it again, when um, I was with the Frank Sontag show, where we, you and I met through that show, there was a question that we posed out there. We, uh, we read the Bible that specifically said, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I think it's pretty clear. So then we opened the phones, and people would get on, and they would give us their Christian resume. You know, they, they, they memorized the Bible eight times over. They've read it in 17 different languages. They've attended every Sunday school lesson ever you know, out there, and on and on and on. And then they would go and say that there's other ways to heaven. You can earn your way in or, you know, whatever their excuses were. And it's like, okay, the Bible says something, but you are so certain that there's other ways to get into heaven. And that's kind of like the arrogance that we have to kind of be careful about is that we in this day and age, the world wants everything our way. If you don't like it, it's our way, our way, our way. Well, God doesn't play that way. The Bible has been pretty specific that it's God's way. You know, it's God or Jesus that's saying what's in the Bible, you know, um, and these people that wrote it were inspired by the Holy Spirit. So it's not like God says, or Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And then someone comes on and says, well, I think there's other ways. And then Jesus is like, oh, yeah, you're right. Okay, there's other ways. That's not gonna, It's not going to happen. And so I think oftentimes in our Christianity, people can get arrogant through the fact that they think they know more or they think they're better, know better than God. What Christianity is all about and their theology becomes about themselves and they are so sure. And I've seen pastors, I've heard pastors preach this. They've acted like it, that they're above it all and that their arrogance is going to probably become a hindrance possibly. I don't know. That's between them and God, but that's what we have to be careful is that we have our faith. The root is deep enough and strong enough. So that flower of, of assurance grows, but so that it doesn't lead into an arrogance that then becomes like the chaff that the wind drives away. Yes, and what you're describing there, Son, is the self-righteousness that man is very good at coming up with 
and creating in his mind and in his heart um, his path of salvation, or so he thinks. And, and that is, he's going to do this, he's going to do that. You know, the reason I began that article with this sentence that I'll share in a moment is, is because, you know, you'll hear people say it. You'll hear atheists say this. You'll hear non-Christians say this. You arrogant, you, you Christians are so arrogant because you, you, you claim to, to be like the only ones going to heaven or you claim to know you're going to heaven. So I began the article uh, with this sentence. I said, isn't it the epitome of arrogance to claim for sure that you know that you will go to heaven when you die? And, and then I answered that question this way. I said, well, um, it all depends upon the basis of your assurance. Um, and, and then I went on to explain, if the basis of your assurance is yourself, your works, your righteous acts, your good deeds, um, your religion uh, and, and religiosity, then it would be the epitome of arrogance because what you're saying is, I'm good enough. I've done enough. I've obeyed the law enough to get into heaven. And, and, and that represents the heart of an unbeliever, of a non-Christian, maybe very religious person. I mean, my goodness, the Apostle Paul, when he was Saul of Tarsus, he was as religious as they come, a very devout Jew, as devout as anyone in his day, but he was not yet saved like Nicodemus, the Pharisee who came to Jesus at night in John three that I referred to. He needed to hear the gospel. Um, so, so if you say, I know for sure I'm going to heaven, um, that statement in itself, uh, it, it's not arrogant unless your point, unless you're thinking, well, I'm going because of myself. If a person says, and this is something I, I, um, I'm able to say by God's grace, um, I know I'm going to heaven. But the reason that's not arrogant is because the basis of my assurance does not have anything to do with me. It has all to do with what Jesus did on the cross when he paid for my sins. He paid the penalty of my sin when he died. And then on the third day, he rose from the dead. So I believe God's promise that that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I believe God's promise that we've been justified by grace through faith in Christ. I believe God's promise that Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. So I can honestly say, I know I'm going to heaven. So what D.L. Moody meant by that uh, statement there, that faith is like the root and assurance is like the flower, is that when you trust Christ as your Savior, that's a work of the Holy Spirit in your life, and that's faith. Now, that same person who has faith may wake up tomorrow and be plagued with some doubts. You know, I yesterday, I was so sure I'm going to heaven, but, you know, I had a, a bad day or whatever, or I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get some uh, an anxiety attack. I'm, to be honest, I'm actually having a few doubts about whether I'm going to heaven. That does not mean, Son, that that person is no longer saved. All that means is that person who has the root, if they're trusting in Christ, because saving faith is focused on Christ and trusting in Christ, relying on the cross. But if that person now is having doubts about their salvation, doesn't mean they're a bad person or a bad Christian. It just means that that flower is not yet blooming. And the way to fix that is to just go back to Scripture, 
keep going over it in your mind, keep meditating on it, keep just standing on those promises, and the Holy Spirit will move out the doubt and replace it with a blessed assurance that millions of Christians, I mean, I'm one of millions who, who, who can honestly say, I know I'm going to heaven when I die, and it not be arrogant, okay? So it all depends on the object of your faith. That's what makes it arrogant or humble, because it's actually a very humble thing to say, you know, there's nothing I've done to contribute even an ounce of me being accepted by God. I'm putting all of my confidence in what Jesus did for me on the cross. That's actually a very humbling thing because man by nature, we want to take the credits on. We want to, we want to be the ones that pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and, and by golly, we got ourselves across the goal line and, and we accomplished this. But when it comes to faith, Christian faith, um, heaven, uh, salvation, um, you, you will never, ever, ever be saved with that approach. Uh, you, you have to be more like that person who's, um, maybe out in the ocean, let's say swimming, not too far off ashore, and there's some strong waves, and you start to become, you know, really fatigued, and it's getting difficult to even get back into shore. And a lifeguard sees what's happening and rushes out to you, and you know you're almost ready to go under the water. The lifeguard gets there. Now you have to decide once the lifeguard gets there. In your frantic state of mind, your fear of being drowned, are you going to flap and flail and and make it very difficult for the lifeguard? I mean, let's face it, it's not going to be easy as it is in the water to, to pull you to shore. But are you going to make it difficult or are you going to just as much as possible rest in the arms of that lifeguard and let that person rescue you and save you. That's a picture of how a person becomes a Christian. You cannot flail your way into the kingdom. You cannot work your way into the kingdom. Um, all you can do is rest in the arms of Jesus, place your faith in him, and let him save a, a drowning soul, which is, is who you and I are before we meet Christ. We're, we're heading down. We, are, we have nothing that can save ourselves, uh, but, but Christ came and he died for us. So, so that's what D.L. Moody meant. Faith is like the root. Assurance is like the flower. And the last thing I'll say on that, 1 John five thirteen says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So the title of my article was, you know, how you can know you will live forever. Um, that, that gospel raft that we started with, Son, uh, was very, uh, you know, very direct and, and unequivocal, you know, um, never going to die. No doubt about it. Um, that's what Jesus promised in John 11. That's what Jesus meant when he said, I am the resurrection of the life. He who believes in me, so there's the root, he who believes in me will live, even though he dies, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then John in 1 John 5, 13, that I just quoted a moment ago, he refers then to that knowledge or, or, or what we call sanctified reason. We've been calling it that here on the podcast, sanctified reason. Um, it, it's, a, it, it's, it's a knowledge that only can come from the Holy Spirit uh, through the gospel. But it's it's a it's a it's a strength of faith that, that has a certainty and assurance and a peace to it. And and I tell you, son, I can honestly say, I don't wake up some days and think, oh, am I really going to heaven? Um, if I was depending upon myself, even one percent, okay, if I was relying ninety nine percent on Jesus's death on the cross, one percent on my deeds, then son, there'd be many days 
I, I'd have to then maybe have a little inkling of a doubt. Boy, I, I hope that I, I hope I was a good enough Christian in that area. I, I hope I, you know, said the right thing and did the right thing and, and obeyed God's law, you know, to the extent that I, that I really satisfied my 1% of the equation. I mean, think how hard that would be. And, and then you've got some people who are thinking it's like 50-50. 50% what Jesus did, 50% what they do. No wonder they don't, you know, they, they uh, only have doubts. Um, I, I will throw in here right now, son. I know I said that was my last thing, but this illustration is so helpful. Um, one time years ago, um, there was a, a young man in our church and he had so happened to be a Mormon, and I was so glad that, that he had brought him to church. And then after church, we were um, talking, and I asked the young Mormon man, I said, hey, could I illustrate something for you? And I set out three chairs. And, and it was just the three of us there. Nobody else was watching this, but just the three of us. Um, and uh, I said, now, now picture something. Picture yourself standing before God there on Judgment Day. And, and, and before you see whether you're going to go into heaven or, or go to hell, uh, imagine the Lord saying to you, now, each one of these chairs represents a person's faith. And I want you to sit down in the chair that represents your faith. And imagine the Lord saying, now, this first chair rep represents the person who thinks they've done enough good works to get into heaven. And if that's where your hope, your faith, your confidence for heaven is, then you sit in that chair. Um, and that's on one side. On the other side, uh, this chair over here represents the person who thinks, well, I think Jesus' death on the cross has to help some with me getting into heaven, and then I have to do my part. So it's kind of like a 50-50 thing. And if you think that like 50% of your salvation was earned by Jesus on the cross, and then the other 50 you earned by, by you know, being a good Christian, um, then you sit here. That represents your faith. And then the the middle chair represents the person who says, you know, I'm going to put all my eggs in the basket of the cross. I'm going to put all my confidence for heaven in the cross, even though maybe I've been a Christian for many years and, and, and tried to do a lot for the Lord, but I'm not going to trust any of that to get into heaven. I'm only going to trust the Lord 100% on the cross. So I presented that to him. And, and I figured that that young man, based on what his religion teaches, would at least give Jesus 50% of the credit um, and sit on the, on the chair on the one end. Um, uh, and, and one other thing I'll say before I tell you the chair he chose, um, I did say, now picture also, once you sit down in one of these three chairs, one of these chairs is going to stay here representing those who are going to go into heaven. Two of the chairs are going to drop straight into hell. So choose wisely. You know, um, you don't want to pick one of the two chairs that's going to drop straight into hell. I was sure, son, he would at least give Jesus 50% of the credit. I, I would have been pleasantly surprised and shocked if, if he would have chosen the middle chair, because I, then it would have been like, well, boy, you've heard this message either maybe right now for the first time or from someone else, but that's not what your, your organization teaches that you've been a part of. And, and that would have led to a lot more discussion then uh, with us and him. But you know, son, he chose, he chose the first chair, the chair where all of his confidence for heaven was based on what he does. He didn't even give Jesus half of the credit for it. And, and, um, but that's, that's worldly religion. Um, that's what people who maybe don't participate in any church, that's what the world uh, tends to think that I have to earn my way. And of course they're never going to know if they're going to get to heaven because they're not yet saved. Uh, and even if they think they're going to get to heaven, the bottom line is those two chairs do drop into hell. Those two chairs do not save a soul. Um, and why would God have sent his only son to, to suffer the agony of crucifixion if 
those other chairs could save you. God would have just been like, hey, you've got Moses, you've got the Ten Commandments, you've got your own morality, you've got your own best efforts, you've got your sincerity, you've got all sorts of religion, you've got Judaism. I mean, heck, knock yourself out. Let, let, let's all come to Judgment Day, and I'll, I'll figure out who did a good enough job, who, you know, who worked it enough. No, what did God do? He did the only thing that could wash away our sins, because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness, the Bible says, and, and only the blood of Christ uh, was the blood of a perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So without getting into the whole sacrificial system of the Old Testament and how Jesus fulfilled that in, in the New Testament, because uh, the Bible is a book of continuity, not discontinuity, but continuity, um, the, uh, the ultimate sacrifice was made on the cross. And, and so that's how I know um, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. Uh, but again, faith is, and, and by the way, that's how any Christian can know. You know, you know, it's got nothing to do with me. That's how any, and, and that's how every Christian who does know who is a Christian, that's how they know, uh, because they're not relying on their works. And I'll tell you, son, those Christians who are tempted to kind of rely partly on their works for assurance, um, they want to be careful because that's going to rattle their assurance. Um, because either you have the root or you don't. Uh, now the root, again, you're, you're rooted to Christ if you're trusting Christ alone. So there are some Christians, they have the root. I mean, every Christian has the root. There are some, though, who do not yet have the flower. And, and so everything I just explained, that's how you can fix that. But you've got to turn your eyes away from your works. Doesn't mean stop doing good works, you know, stop trying to do good. No, nothing like that. But what are you relying on as the basis of your entrance into heaven? And, and that's the key there, son. The key is the focus. I think one of the things that we kind of miss out on from the old classical church is the the hymns. You know, we like the worship music and we like the rock concert appeal and things like that. But what we get away from is the worship of God. And when you bring up Blessed Assurance, obviously the first thing that comes to mind is the hymn, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born in his spirit, washed in his blood. And as, you know, you go through, at least growing up, when we'd be singing these hymns, you know, leaving church, you have it kind of in your mind. And the hymns provided kind of an opportunity to remind you of your salvation. In this case, you know, Fanny Crosby writing this. And then it goes on to say, you know, perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed, watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. And it's, these, and it's the songs that, you know, along with Scripture, I think they work together, that when you sit there and you kind of meditate on these, it does provide with assurance. It does provide the ability to know that, yes, this is what I believe, and this is what I can have faith in. Because you mentioned uh, arrogance and, and confidence, and to me, there's a difference between arrogance and confidence. Confidence is you go and do something because you know or you believe in your ability to get that thing done. You might think about an athlete. An athlete might be arrogant people look at Michael Jordan or maybe Kobe Bryant as arrogant, but in actuality, they're confident because they believe in their ability to make the game-winning shot because they put in all this hard work and effort outside of what we have seen. They're in the gym at 3 a.m., 6 a.m., 9 a.m., 12 a.m., you know, whatever. They're in there before or after game. So putting in the work so they know when the game's on the line, they have confidence in the fact that their ability is going to allow them to be successful. And then you have the arrogance side of it, 
which to me is people try to kind of puff their chest and kind of make themselves bigger than what they are in kind of a false sense, knowing that they never put in the work and they're not really sure what their ability is going to be like. And they don't know if their end result is going to be successful or not because they can't or they don't have the ability to rely on their skills because they haven't perfected them and they haven't practiced them like maybe some of these other athletes, musicians, whoever. And that's what it's like for us. If we want to be confident in our faith, we can practice our faith. We can improve on our skills, whether it be reading scripture, memorizing scripture, you know, going to church, you know, doing the things that are going to reinforce in us that I am confident I am going to heaven because according to the Bible and the things that the Bible is telling me, I can see that in my life. Might not be perfect, but you know what? The Bible says I'm not perfect. The Bible says everyone sins, including me. But because of the work that I'm putting in, trying to perfect my faith, trying to get my faith going, trying to rely on my abilities, knowing that because of what the Bible says, and this is what I'm doing, I'm confident in my faith that I'm going to heaven versus perhaps the arrogance of people that maybe don't know their faith. And so they're just pretending, you know, yeah, I'm going to go to heaven because, you know, the alternative is pretty bad, but I don't really want to put in my faith. I don't want to put in the work. I don't want to do the readings. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to do the things that are necessary And so, therefore, I'm just going to kind of rely on maybe some good things and hope on a wish on a prayer, and that's it. So I guess the point is, is there is a difference between arrogance and confidence, and we can have that blessed assurance, that confidence knowing we're going to heaven because we have put in the work. We have done our time. We have done the studying, the scripture reading, the scripture memorization. You know, we rely on some maybe some of the old hymns and, and those things, and we've gone out and we've lived a life that is as much as we can Christ-like. And I think that's the difference when it comes down to, for me anyways, is the difference between arrogance and confidence is that we know we put the work in, therefore we can be assured that we have success because of the work that we've done. Not the works that are going to save us, but the works Mm -hmm. of following what the Bible says, reading the Bible, going to church, reaching out to others, you know, where basically the end result is that we have the fruits of the Spirit. We show love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, self-control. And those are demonstrated in our lives. And the fruit that is being born is the assurance of our salvation because our root stems back to Christ Jesus. You know, son, I like that distinction between confidence and arrogance. And I like that thought that... Um, you know, using that word arrogance for, um, you know, focus on what I'm doing as the basis of my assurance. Um, and, and what makes it arrogance is because it assumes that I can somehow make myself righteous in God's eyes. Um, the confidence that, that we can have as Christians is all because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And, and if we, for example, though, are, let's say, going against our conscience or sinning deliberately, Um, that is going to get in the way of gospel confidence because it's going to really, um, monkey with things, you know, the Holy spirit within us, you know, the Bible says, do not grieve the Holy spirit. So, um, we're going to really lose, um, some of the joy and the confidence, um, especially if we deliberately sin, be, 
because um, that is not pleasing to the Lord. That's not what we've called, uh, been called to be or to do. And if we're going against our conscience or uh, going against God's word, um, then the Holy Spirit is trying to shine a light on that to show us that um, as as God's people, we're called to something higher than that. Um, and, and and so what I find, you know, like in my life is that the confidence is is always um, uh, coming from a focus on the cross, but 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 if there's something that uh, that I'm doing that is not consistent with what God wants, then that will interrupt um, you know everything, uh, prayer, um, confidence in the gospel, you know everything else. So um, you know I, I wrote an article years ago, and I referenced this in in an article that we're talking about today, placing faith in your faith. Produces doubt, and then in the article, you know, there's a testimony of a young man who wrote to me from Alabama about how that article helped him, and uh, it was written six years ago. Uh, but how he he has wrestled over the years with with you know looking at his faith too much rather than looking at Christ and the cross, and 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 so that was such a great letter to or email to get, and he gave me permission to share it. Uh, but but that is the point there of of the flower, um, but. But right along with that, and as you say, son, um, it's very important that we live by the Spirit because um, even though as we do that, even as we live by the Spirit, um, you know, the, the, the confidence of salvation um, comes through the cross. Now, now. We can have we can have a greater peace in knowing that I'm doing God's will. Um, you know, let, let's just take an example. Okay, so let's say you've got a Christian who's gossiping. Now, the Holy Spirit's going to be trying to convict that person of that sin, um, and. That person, while they're in that frame of mind, um, won't really have too much joy in their salvation. They may or may not be doubting their salvation. Um, maybe it's not shaking their, their assurance of salvation, but it's definitely shaking their fellowship with the Holy Spirit. So the fruit of the Holy Spirit is going to be less, less love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, generous, and self-control until that thing is resolved. Because even the tiniest little thing, It's almost like a pebble in your shoe, okay? Even the tiniest little thing can really upset your walk with Christ. In the same way that a pebble in a person's shoe, if they're out for a walk, let's say, on a nice day, um, boy, you want to get that pebble out of there. Let's say it's right in the middle, you know, the sole of your foot there. Um, That's no fun to be walking on that. It's very distracting. It might even be painful. Um, So, but that's what even a small thing where where we are resisting the Lord's will, will. So we always want to pray, you know, Lord, um, you know, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Or another psalm, search me, O God, and know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts, see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Um, and, and there are plenty of verses like that, uh, that, that, uh, that, that talk about, um, you know, just bringing our, bringing our heart, bringing our life to the Lord. And, uh, but no, it, it, it's a joyful thing uh, to walk with Christ. And, um, you know, one day when we get to heaven, um, it's going to just be off the charts. You know, my dad went home to heaven here several months ago. Um, he he would have been 85 uh, there at the end of January. And um, he went to be with the Lord there on uh, on uh, the 31st of, uh, of December. But um, 
you know, um, it's going to be great to see him again when, when we, when we get there, when we, uh, when the Lord brings us there. And in the meantime, we have, um, we have a lot of people God wants us to reach. And I think about like my dad's younger brother, Jerry, who preceded him uh, by uh, quite a number of years. And, and Jerry came to know the Lord a little bit later in life. And, uh, you know, maybe one of the listeners today, son, maybe, uh, maybe you as a listener today, maybe, maybe you or one of your loved ones um, has not yet, uh, you know, accepted Christ. Well, what better time now than, than Easter and, and this time of year, you know, the sooner the better. You don't want to leave that that gift unwrapped, as Son talked about, under the tree. Don't leave it unwrapped. You know, um, it'd be tragic, wouldn't it, my friend, for you to get to heaven's gate and um, and not be let in. Why? Because you didn't open the gift. You didn't receive the gift. It would have changed your heart. It would have changed your life. It would have given you holy motivations. Not you wouldn't have been perfect, but it would have changed your motivations. You know, for living, and most of all, it would have washed away all your sins. So, so please do that today if you haven't already. That's God's call to you uh, from His Word. God commands everyone, uh, the Bible says, uh, everywhere to repent. Um, he, he offers that free gift. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. So maybe right now, in the quietness of your heart, just say yes to Jesus. Just ask Jesus. Say, say, wash me, Jesus, with your precious blood. You know, turn your heart to the Lord. Confess your sins to the Lord. And be born again. And and uh, the Holy Spirit will do it. Uh, but, uh, you know, many times we just have to get out of the way. We just have to stop resisting. Like that struggling swimmer about to drown. So just rest in the arms of Jesus today. Um, I like the, those hymns that you mentioned, Son, because they do have such beautiful uh, lyrics. You know, the one Billy Graham always would use at the end of his crusade, you know, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. And and that's all you have to do today, my friend, just come to Christ in your heart, uh, repent and believe the good news. That was Jesus' first sermon, and you'll be saved, and heaven will be your home, and, and then you'll get to work. Uh, um, you might not be rapping, doing gospel rap, as we started the podcast today with that, but uh, you probably won't be doing that. But um, there'll be something God will have you to do. It might be most likely behind the scenes. You know, you may not be out in front of others, but you'll be you'll be working. Uh, it could be, you know, it might might be a, a a teaching kind of a thing or even a preaching kind of a thing. Um, but uh, whatever it is, um, none of us are. You know, we're all equal at the foot of the cross, and you know, Billy Graham is is not more important than um, to. God than you are. You know, he just had a different calling. Um, and so I hope you sense that today, that you're important to God and that he loves you and, and that Christ died and rose again for your salvation. Yeah, Dan. And one of the things too, is that, you know, like you said, we have that blessed assurance knowing that our soul isn't going to die. And that is uh, firefighters. If you want to, uh, it's actually kind of like cool because it's kind of like a Run DMC type of flair to it, and uh, it's almost like you guys should have been like sponsored by New Balance or something like that. Uh, <laughs> right, you know? right. But again, yeah. firefighters. If you if you want to check it out, it's on YouTube. Um, it's actually pretty cool. And again, the message is there. You know, if you're looking for a wholesome, you know, rap. You know, it's actually pretty good. You can hear for yourself. But, uh, but Dan, as always, we appreciate you coming on and sharing with us uh, your insights, sharing with us your music, and just giving us that perspective as we are in the Easter season 
of, you know, we can have confidence because a root is our faith and the assurance is the flower. And if we're rooted in Jesus, then we can be assured and have that blessed assurance that we're going to spend eternity in heaven with Christ Jesus. Amen, son. And I'll just also mention to the listeners that, you know, if they Google, you know, uh, firefighters, that was the name of the group committed. You could Google, um, it's free. That was one of the raps or the Lord's posse or TV junkie, uh, or, um, you know, never going to die. Uh, God made sex. I mean, those are all titles that you should be able to pull up. Um, you know, maybe several of those at least on uh, on YouTube if you want to check that out. And maybe you or your kids would enjoy listening to that. But uh, um, yeah, son, you know, it's uh, it's been great to uh, to just talk about this today. And uh, boy, what a what an amazing Savior, uh, risen Savior, we serve. And if you want to. Uh find out more too about uh dan's writings you can go to the christianpost.com and just google or just search his name in the in the search box and his articles pop up if you want to uh, find out more about the show or contact somebody you can just send us an email sanctified reason podcast at gmail.com and we'll get back to you sanctified reason podcast at gmail.com check out our website radiowarp.com that's radio w-a-r-p radiowarp.com you can click on the sanctified reason podcast logo and all of our shows will pop up so if you want to go back and listen to some older shows um, they're not really older as far as outdated they're just shows that we have done previous because the message of the bible is never outdated um, and for those of you listening, hey, thanks for listening. Do tell a friend. And until next time, God bless.